Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the show this week by Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hey, Dom. How are you? I'm good. Hey, you and I were just talking before the show about how we've sort of seen a bit of a run of organizations with predominantly passive cultures recently. I don't know if that's a coincidence of anything or, you know, we're looking for patterns where there aren't any, but I thought it would be interesting just to have a chat about you know, how would I recognize that I'm in a passive culture? Like, what are the signs? What would you see? What would you experience? Why does it matter? What's the impact on performance? And then what are the the key things we should be working on, thinking about, tweaking in order to move from a, a passive culture into a constructive one? Yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's a really great topic to start with. And Maybe before we go into the, you know, talking about how would you see it, what would you mm. see and how, how does it affect the organization, just a bit of a recap for people who aren't as familiar with how we see culture. So culture is still something that everybody recognizes is important and it is still something that sometimes people struggle to understand because it's mm. quite abstract. You can't see it. Mm. Well, you can see it in action, but you can't touch it, you can't feel it. Yep. So the way that we define culture is the shared beliefs, values, norms that influence how people do their work on a day-to-day basis and how they interact with each other. So it's basically how we do things around here. And when we talk about a norm, we're talking about typically the way the custom and practice of how an organization might encourage its people to interact with one another and and do their job. And the key thing about culture, it's a behavioral phenomenon. So engagement, employee opinion surveys, they're really interesting information, but they don't typically deal with culture. They're an outcome of culture. And so when we're working with culture, what we're interested in is how do you do things around here? What are the norms? What kind of messages are people getting about what they need to do in order to fit in? That's what we're interested in. And some of those norms, if you think about them as kind of rules, unwritten rules and written rules as well, is what we measure when we're measuring culture. So when we talk about a passive defensive culture, and for those of you who are familiar with our circumplex, it would show up as a predominantly green passive defensive Uh culture. We're really talking about a culture that people feel encourages them, sends messages to them to be careful, to be cautious, to not rock the boat, to please people, keep people on the nice side, avoid conflict. So passive means that I'm really kind of retreating from having any of the tough conversations that matter because I, it's too risky. So in a passive defensive culture, people worry about mm. getting things wrong mm. and making mistakes and the negative repercussions that might come from saying the wrong thing or you know having a, a different opinion to the norm. Passive defensive cultures 
encourage people to look for direction rather than take the initiative. So it's an environment where typically some of the reasons that passive defensives cultures evolve over time can be a whole range of things. But one of the things that can happen is that there's a real lack of clarity about who the organization is. So the identity, who are we, what do we do, and where is our focus and what do priorities. So where there's a lack of clarity of the mission, of the values, of the direction of the organization, then it makes it very difficult for people to know how to invest their effort time and energy because they don't really understand to what end. Okay. How does my effort make a difference? Yes. And therefore, you know, I liked what you said earlier. It's the messages people get, how they're expected to behave. So if, hey, we're not clear on where we're going, I actually don't know what we're trying to achieve, what the strategy is, what's the expectation? Yes. Not to take the lead. Yes. Make decisions, use your initiative. That's not the message I hear. It's like, hey, it's really vague and ambiguous. The message I get is kind of hang back, wait. And in, in a way, and in a way, you could see how that would happen if there's ambiguity in or lack of clarity. Then what you've created in an organization is a situation where somebody's got to be confident enough to make the decision themselves, uh-huh. or they're going to start to depend more on their leaders to give them direction or they're going to look to a policy or procedure but there's no guardrails, there's no guidance, there's no cues for helping them understand where their effort's going to make the most difference. So in a passive defensive culture, there'll be this lack of clarity. There could be shifting priorities. So one day you're asked to work on one thing and another day you're asked to drop that and to focus on another project. Or you might find that your leader wants you to prioritize A, but their leader comes Mm. a couple of days later and gives you a completely different message. Mm. And so you create this situation where it's confusing. I see that with some government organizations I work with where particularly at the political level, the winds can shift. Yes. We're doing this today. Oh, we're doing that tomorrow. And it kind of keeps on a whim, almost flipping back and forth, which makes it really difficult to know, well, where should we put our effort? Where do we focus? It's not clear. Yeah, totally. And the other thing that happens sometimes in in a culture that's passive defensive is you'll have very narrowly defined, almost specialized jobs. Mm -hmm. And so everybody does a very specific, specialized, narrow, defined role. And so why does that drive passivity? Because what it encourages people to do is to only operate within a very narrow swim lane, if I can use that as an analogy. And it limits the level of empowerment or thinking that they've got to do in terms of getting an outcome because they don't own the whole process that delivers the outcome. They only own one slice of it. Right. And so it could be the other thing that it can cause passivity. It could be that they're not in control of the whole process. They don't own it. And so it means that they're dependent mm. on others mm. in order to achieve the objective that they've been asked to achieve. I think mainly one of the issues with it is it narrows people's thinking. And so if you've got a, an organization that's suddenly asking people to take initiative, 
mm. but they're within a, an organizational structure that means that they can only do a, a small piece of work, mm. then they won't be used to thinking outside the box because their whole job design has been to think inside yes. a particular boss. And that's what's expected of them. And it's yeah, what that, expected that is the message, of them. right? That's right. So, you know, and, and it's interesting because it's the message I get not from what leaders say, because in your example, hey, use your initiative. Awesome. But it's from how we do things around here, which is, hey, but my job is designed in such a way that I'm very limited, actually, to the range of things I can do or the range of decisions I can make. Yes. I'm very restricted. Therefore, the message I actually receive is just do your job, do what you're told, follow the rules, kind of unplug your brain. Yes. Right? And just follow along. And so it's almost a... um you know, juxtaposition, hey, now you're asking me to be creative or use my initiative. But all the other messages I get from the way my job is actually tells me something different. And sometimes you can get that message, be creative, take initiative, be action-oriented, just be careful. Okay? So you get both. And so if you get both, what are you going to listen to? That just be careful is pretty... I reckon people tend towards safety and security. Yeah, because it allows, you know, it suddenly creates the possibility that there might be a risk in being creative and taking action. And and so I think that's really confusing for people. The other thing that I think in a culture where you've got passive defensive behaviour is that this sense of needing to get things right, and it's not even get things right, it's actually not make mistakes. Right means that people are going to be quite heavily reliant on policy and procedures and direction. Mm. And so what you end up getting is a culture where people are better at following Mm. than they are at taking initiative because the sense, there's a perceived sense that I need to make sure that I don't get things wrong. And so how do I make sure that I don't get things wrong? Will I just wait to be told what to do or I will look up which of the procedures and the rules and I will implement that rule to the letter Mm. and very literally even if it is counterproductive because that would be the safest thing to do. Yes, which, you know, talking of the impacts of it can be incredibly frustrating if you're trying to make something happen in such a culture. It can be really frustrating because, oh, my Goodness, I just can't get people moving and taking ownership and going for it. They push back, you know, they drag their feet. We've got to check in, or just there's no energy behind it. Nothing happens because it's a lot of bureaucracy. Yes. You know, because it's a lot of rules and, and we need 20 people to sign off on this before we can possibly do something. And that's the other characteristic, Dom, is typically mm. when we look at what causes a passive defensive culture, so there's a lack of clarity in terms of mission and goals and values. There's also very strong hierarchy and very strong Mm -hmm. centralised decision-making. So you'll find often where there's a strong passive defensive culture, there's a lot of signatures you've got to collect before you can recruit somebody, before you can try a new idea. So there's a lot of hoops that have to be jumped a lot of people that have got to be brought on board before you can take that action. And so again, what's the message, right? What's the expectation? If, if hey, I need to get you know six people to sign off on this thing before I can do it. Well, the message is we don't really trust you to make that decision. Yeah. 
You know, yep. so don't move ahead. Wait. Yeah. Check in. Delegate upwards. Yeah. Right. Don't just make a decision and go for it. Don't use your initiative. No. You know, check. And wait. it's all about trying to contain this anticipated possible risk that may never happen. But there's a lot of effort in being invested in doing that. And of course, the other thing that I think is interesting too is sometimes when you see a passive defensive culture. So we've talked about the lack of clarity. We've talked about the centralized decision-making, this hierarchy, the need to get a lot of sign-offs. But the other thing that can happen is that sometimes it evolves where the organization has a certain amount of certainty, for example, repeat business with customers, where they can't really go anywhere else. They're always going to come to us. So there's a level of certainty about ongoing business. And Uh so what can happen is that because there's this certainty about external business coming, the organization over time becomes very insular Mm. and very inward looking, Mm. focusing on, and then that brings a focus on policy and procedures and reliability Mm. and consistency. And so that becomes what dominates people's concern is about satisfying and serving the leaders within. So for example, it might people when, if they're serving a, a customer, they might feel the pressure of making sure that they don't give any wrong advice and so and not implementing something new so they feel like they've got to go and ask their manager, can I put you on hold while I ask my supervisor? Uh, uh. You know, and so I think that there's this kind of focus, very insular, very forgotten to look at how the world's changing. Uh. And so less connected with the customer is what it can look like as well. And that can be the the danger for organizations that are in this passive zone is that you know, I kind of think with, you know, conventional, we follow the rules, we follow the traditions, the, you know, the way we've always done stuff, which actually works pretty well as long as nothing changes. Yes. You know, as long as the world keeps the same, the same, then we're good to go. Yes. It's fine, right? But as soon as stuff starts changing, and here's the trick, it's not in our control. Mm. You know, the world changes out there. Then we find it really hard to adapt to it. We can't make the change necessary to get there because instead of, hey, use your initiative, make make calls, it's, oh, God, we need to update all the things. We need to train everyone. We need to, you know, we can't make that decision. I've got to wait. I've got to send it upwards. So we're really slow to respond. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I think that when you've got a passive defensive culture, if that's the prevailing characteristic of the culture, you slow to respond if you respond. So I was once in the reception of an organization. We were just about to start. They were interested in culture. We weren't working with them yet, but I was looking at all the artifacts, all the things that they've got in the reception area because you can always tell a lot. You get a feel. You get a feel. And I went and had a look at a framed values charter up on the wall, and one of the things that it had as a statement was that we recognize the need to change. And I thought at the time, that's super interesting, right? So do they recognize the need to change? So it's not that we do adapt and change, it's that we recognize the need to change. (laughs) And so at that point, point, I thought to myself, oh, okay, it'll be interesting to find out if they actually respond to the change or whether they just recognize it. And sure enough, in this organization, they ended up having a very, very high conventional avoidance highest extensions in their culture. And so it was really about recognizing it, but not actually moving to it. Now, one of the things with a high passive defensive culture is you're slow to move. Mm -hmm. And sometimes 
you're not going to move until you're forced to move. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is the risk yep. with a passive defensive yep. culture is the world moves faster than you're able to adapt to it. And then there's an external force that comes along and makes you change. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things is pace is slow, yep. which means that change is difficult. There's a resistance to the change. And the longer you resist change, you know, the harder the lesson becomes. You know, something will happen that forces you to change. So I think the pace is an issue, is how you can recognize it. Everything takes a very long time to happen and you have to talk to a lot of people. Sometimes what drives a passive defensive culture, of course, which we haven't talked about, is you can have very command and control leadership. So it's very top down and it's very, it could be quite an aggressive way of leading that causes people to feel intimidated. And so they go into a bit of a a play safe, play small mentality. So that's the other driver of passive defensive culture. Yeah, which is kind of hierarchical in general because it could be through, you know, we're kind of aggressive layers. I'm going to tell you what to do. Therefore, the message people get is wait to be told. Exactly. But you can also do the same thing, achieve the same thing through lots of rules. Yes. Right. We've got a million and one rules, which is achieves the same thing. It's not maybe from an aggressive management style in the same way, but it's still controlling, isn't it? Controlling. So I think that sometimes you can have, one of the things that I am interested in when I go in organizations is the number of signs that you've got telling you what you should do. You know, if you go to the toilet, you know, how many signs actually tell you what you need to do in the toilet. If you go in the hallway, if you're catching a lift, if you go, like, just notice how many signs there are and what they're there for, what's their function, and to what level of detail they go to in describing the behavior. Because often those signs are well-meant and they're caring. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. they're so prescriptive, it's a real sign of a conventional, passive, defensive culture, often. Yes. I'm totally with you. I was just kind of cracking up to myself because it's kind of a cause of and symptom of, I guess, a, a passive culture, you know. If you go in the bathroom and it's like, please flush the toilet, and it's like, surely we just all know that. Like, do we have to be told? And if you have to be told, we've kind of got a different problem, I suppose. Yeah. I you know what I mean? Like, I do. I do. But I remember I once worked in an organization where the managing director, very caring, very caring man, but very, I would say, power perfectionistic. And he wrote a policy on fuel cards and using fuel, you uh-huh. know, petrol bowsers. And he went to the degree of describing how to pull the nozzle the nozzle from the Bowser. (laughs) And, you know, I think it was like two pages that actually described taking the nozzle out of the Bowser. Now, well-meant, well-intended, and no doubt sometimes it's a reaction to something that was done that was silly, but it becomes a policy. You know, it becomes something that everybody has to live with. So we talked about Mission, we've talked about hierarchy and leadership behavior. We've talked about job design, job design, and the pace of the organization, the impact that it can have in terms of pace. And the other one that can show up is uh, management by exception, which is a bit leadership as well. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when we look at a culture result that has high avoidance and perfectionistic, for example, it is not uncommon for people to feel like their good effort in that kind of culture gets taken for granted yep. and their mistakes get amplified. Yep. And so 
they feel like it kind of, it's demoralizing and it forces, it creates a kind of like avoidant reaction, whatever, you know, it, because- There's not much upside for getting it right, but yeah. there's a bunch of downside for getting it wrong. Exactly. That I'm going to withdraw. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. It reminds me of a, a story. I was working with an organization who had, you know, street teams who would go out, you know, on the street, kind of a marketing yeah. okay. team. But there were a lot of like kind of, not volunteers, but I guess like uni students yeah. and, and stuff like that, right? So they weren't ne- very experienced necessarily. They were kind of temporarily into the organization, stuff like that. And so they're kind of worried about what people might do. And so they had like a driver's license for yeah. being on the street team. And so if you did something, you know, you shouldn't do or whatever, you got docked points. Like oh. you would, you know, if you're like speeding yeah, or something, you yeah, get docked yeah. points, right? Until eventually your license is revoked, you know? So who judged that? Who? The who, the manager, I think. Right. But what's the message you get, right, is don't try anything. Yeah, because you, know, you might lose some points. Or you might lose points. Yeah. There was no, like, incentive for, hey, you did an awesome mm, job. It was mm, if you made a mistake, mm, take a point off. Mm. You know, again, well-intentioned. It was yeah. like, hey, you know, we want to make sure we're doing the right thing. Yeah. But wrong message. Yeah, yeah. Wrong message. Interesting. If that's – so those are sort of – how it can show up and what goes into causing it. So how do we start addressing those? Look, there are a lot of different ways, but essentially you've got to make it safe, okay? Bottom line, that's what you're looking to do in an organisation where you're trying to move from passive defensive to constructive. So I think that there's there's some structural things. I'm going to call them structural and then there are some behavioural things. So I think the first from the structural side, you've got to provide clarity. Okay. So, and I think that sometimes if you've got leaders that are inadvertently causing through their own behavior, whether it's aggressive, defensive behavior, or if you've got a leader who is vague, Uh that's going to cause passive defensive as well. So it may take a while to shift the leader's behavior. So some of the structures that are helpful can provide that level of safety as the behavioral momentum for change builds. So some mm-hmm. of the structural things like get clear on the mission, you know, like, and there's so much confusion around mission, vision, purpose. But essentially, when we talk about mission and clarity, when I talk about it, I'm thinking about who are you as an organization? What is it that you do? Why is it important? Okay, so just those three questions and then what are the values that matter? What is it that you value as an organization? How do you want people to behave? So that's a high level of structure given to everybody in the organization so that they understand direction, goals, Mm. the philosophy that Mm. underpins that in terms of who we are and why we matter, Mm. as well as the behavioral standards through the values. So Mm. that is something that is in writing, you know, preferably involve people. So in a passive defensive culture, I found that often organizations with passive defensive culture will have values and will have a sense of visional purpose, but nobody really knows what it means on a day-to-day level. Yes. And so it's not just about creating it, it's about helping people understand what it means. What do you want me to do differently in my day mm. in order to put the customer at the center, you know, everything that I do? Mm. So we'll have this great aspiration, but, and everybody buys into it, but nobody actually knows 
how do I organize myself mm. around that kind of mm. vision? So with mission and philosophy, get clear on the values, the purpose, who we are, what we stand for, why we do what we do. Yeah, I, I often throw strategy in there as yes. well, which is because there's a question we have around, you know, people clearly understand the priorities and objectives, which to me means strategy. And the number of times where you ask people, you know, what's the strategy? They kind of look at you blankly and shrug. So how can people make decisions if we don't know, you know, what game we're playing? Yeah, yeah. It's really hard. Yeah, You know, it's exactly. not impossible. And so- yeah, make it simple, make it straightforward so people can actually use it to make decisions. Yeah. And Dom, I'm just going to step back a bit because we talked about the fact that what you want to do is make it safe. Yeah. Okay. And so if I step away from what you can do, I just want to talk about the rationale of yeah. which styles are you trying to grow? Because we talk right. about growing the blue yeah. versus trying to stop the red and green. And so if you're trying to shift the passive defensive, and look, again, there's no hard and fast formula, but I'm going to talk one example where it's about growing the achievement and the humanistic encouraging. Uh -huh. In a passive defensive culture, you've also got to grow the self-actualizing, which is really important. But sometimes trying to grow the self-actualizing is a bit more, is a bit harder and, and may feel like it, it's a bit riskier, yeah. what involves creativity, embracing change. Yeah. So I think achievement and humanistic encouraging, aiming to grow those are very important because they offer different things. So I think achievement offers clarity yep. around clarity of goal, how it links to the overall mission and values as we talked about, and also enabling people to make some decisions of their own. So increasing autonomy. Once you're clear about your goal, you're clear about the outcomes that are expected of you. Mm -hmm you're clear about what you need to do to get that done, then you can start to give people some autonomy yep. and give them a chance to make some decisions, give them an opportunity to actually influence decisions yep. that affect them yep. in terms of how they set their goals. So don't set their goals for them, make it a two-way thing. So achievement is about clarity. The other style that I think is going to be really important to grow is the humanistic encouraging because I believe that that is the style that really creates, helps to create the psychological safety required for people to take yeah. a bit more risk. Affiliative is also important, but I focus on humanistic encouraging because there's more coaching, yep. there's more taking time with people, there's yeah. more helping people to stretch their thinking. So I think that if I, I had to choose two that we were working on, those would be the two that I often think are tangible and they create a safety in sense of um, psychological safety, physical safety, but clarity. And I think that they're the two things that people need yep. in I'd, order, organization need in order to move from passive defensive. I agree with that, particularly if you want to grow achievement in others, you need humanistic encouraging leaders. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I was going to say. Humanistic encouraging is about once you've got your goals, it's about creating uh, clear expectations. It's about helping people by leading by example. It's about coaching them. It's about developing them, mentoring them. It's about delegating. Yep. And so I think hand in hand, they make a great combination to aim for. And then it's about what action do you take that will help grow that. So 
being clear about mission, strategy, goals, values. Yep. So we know where we're going. Where we know where we're going, that'll grow, you know, the achievement. What about, because, you know, thinking of the list we went through before of kind of what caused it, we talked about, you know, job design as well, hey, being very limited to what I can do and the decisions I can make. And, you know, I only do one little part of the big picture job and stuff. So what would you do there? I think if it's available to the organization, I'd broaden the roles. And you can't sort of go from zero to 100. So it's not about that, but it's about looking at broadening the scope of responsibility that people have so that there there might be a bit more breadth. Look, sometimes in in an organization, you need a depth in a role. So you do need specialists. You do need subject matter experts that have got deep expertise. So we're talking generally, even in in that area, if you still need an expert, the breadth is actually in what they're responsible for within that that stream. Mm -hmm. So I think it's looking at broadening their scope of responsibility, but I also think it's about making clear to them the outcomes. So if this job exists for a reason, you know, and so it's about making clear what doing this job well looks like and how it helps the organization. Because if I think a lot of PD position descriptions still are a laundry list of activities, they don't really speak to the purpose purpose and why that job exists and how it helps in the organization. So that's one thing that I would do is to look for what can they be more responsible for, get them involved in that discussion and with that breadth to look at where the autonomy can be given to them, the other person. The other thing that we talked about, so we talked about mission, job design. I think with leaders, leadership development, you know, wherever you're going to work on culture, you're going to work on leadership. Yep. It's just essential and critical. So I think in this instance, it's about helping leaders to coach, delegate, empower, support. So, and that will work if you are, you know, if you've got culture that is aggressive leaders, then it'll help them understand how to coach and support somebody to deliver the results other than through them telling them how to do it. Uh And I think if you've got leaders that are, you know, operating in a passive and they're perpetuating it because maybe they feel that they're operating, you know, maybe they're operating in a passive defensive way as well. For them, it's also about decision-making, you know, helping them get clear on the decision-making levels in the organization and the criteria, the delegated authority. You know, this is also about clarity. And then I think on the behavioral side, it's about leadership development's part of that, but it's also making sure that the performance uh, appraisal system is Mm -hmm. based on objective goals and objective outcomes related to the conversation that you've had around goal setting. Mm. And then it's about reward and recognition to help people understand, to to reinforce when they're doing the right. Excellence. Yeah, excellence and also values. You can use recognition to actually promote your values. The other thing I was going to say on job design that's really important, I think, for achievement is to help people self-assess, okay, to work out what good looks like just by doing the job, okay? So if it's difficult for somebody to know how well they're doing just by doing their job, 
suddenly they're dependent on a leader to give them feedback. And so if that leader doesn't give feedback, this person's operating in a vacuum, Mm. okay, which causes a lack of clarity. Mm. So I think that's the other thing on the job design front is help people identify and understand how to tell if they're, what a good day looks like in their job. And that can be harder in some jobs than others, I I admit, where, you know, it's obvious if you make the sale or hit the number or whatever. You know, uh, yeah, I I think of the analogy, I think I might have used this one before, but it's like throwing the bowling ball down the bowling alley. Do I use this one? I don't know. And then just before it hits the pins, there's a black curtain that it goes through. Yeah. And so you hear it, but you don't know what really happened. Yeah. That's a great analogy. How, you know, motivating is that and... Whereas, you know, if you see it, hey, the pin skittle and, you know, if you got a strike or, you know, you only hit three or whatever, you get feedback on how you're doing. Yeah. And I think often in jobs, it feels like we're bowling through the black curtain. Yeah. And I think the reason that that's important is that an important part of growing achievement is that people can see that their effort makes a difference. And so that bowling analogy is great because when you can see the pins fall, you can see the direct connection between your effort and that result. But if the black curtain comes down, you've got no idea. It could be that somebody came and knocked them down versus it being your effort. And there are some jobs I think sometimes people who have to write reports that go to boards may not hear anything back for a month, Mm. you know, and so they have no Mm. idea. A lag on it. Yeah. Yeah. In contact centres, there was one organisation that started to teach people how to read the cues if the customer was engaged. So it wasn't about how whether they sold anything or how long they stayed on the call. It was how to tell if the conversation was hitting the mark, what to look for. I think that's brilliant. It's okay? a great idea because I was going to say like, you know, I use sales as the example, but even if you're, it's just an initial conversation, meet and greet or whatever, when you hang up, you know if Hey, I nailed that. Yeah. Or I yeah. missed the mark. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. But you can feel that. Yes. And maybe it's just taking the time out to notice that. Like, yeah. hey, I nailed that one and here's why. Well, yeah. because I yeah. established good rapport up front, da 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 da, whatever it is. Because I think, you know, with the bowling analogy, the reason it matters is hey, I changed my grip or my run up or my arm swing or something, and here's the Bent outcome. a little bit more at the knees. Bent a little bit more at the knees, and I can see the difference it made at Hitting the pins. Yeah, yeah. And I think the the byproduct, the bonus of helping people understand what good looks like in their role or how they can tell, helping them self-assess means growing self-actualizing as well, right? Mm. Because you're not dependent on somebody else. You are able to build confidence in your judgment, you know, Mm. which is part of how you build self-actualizing as well. So I think there's some of the ideas that we have worked with clients who are trying to shift from a passive defensive culture. Hopefully that's useful. Yeah, I love it. So I'm taking away, Corinne, from that sort of, let's get clear on the goals. What are we trying to achieve and why? Yeah. So people can actually make decisions. Decentralizing, how do we push decision-making down, get rid of the 50 sign-offs, right? And by the way, those are connected because in order for people to make decisions, they got to know what we're trying to achieve and be yep. clear on that. It's about, you know, designing jobs in such a way that people actually have autonomy, that they have, they can self-assess how they're performing, they can make different decisions, they see the bigger picture. And that they're involved in decisions that affect them. They're involved in decisions that affect them. 
And then we sort of talked about management by exception as well. So rather than looking for the mistakes, let's look for what's working. Yeah. And you get more of what you notice as a leader. So let's reinforce that as well. Yeah. And then the leadership development, of course, which Mm -hmm. is helping leaders learn how to create psychological safety as well as empathy and responsibility. So how to support and encourage and bring some structure to it so to to hold the expectation of what's required. Love it. Okay. All right, Corinne, I hope that helped. If you're out there and you've got a bit of a passive culture on your hands, you can make a difference, right? (laughs) And I guess it's not being overwhelmed by that, but chip away at it. Get that clarity. Look for the action. Look for the action, you know, and and recognize the progress (laughs) as well. Get the bike curtain out of your own way, perhaps, and notice, uh, self-assess. Uh, how you're performing. Brilliant. Thanks, Corinne. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.